Oh, what a roller coaster ride it is following and supporting Chelsea Football Club. One of the worst weeks of the year. Gotta be honest, but Chelsea find a way to put a smile on that face and make the final Sunday, the final match day of the Premier League season a bit easier on the stomach, even though we're not across the finish line. Still work to do. We will discuss that, the FA Cup final, and the Champions League final on the women's side. Chelsea can't quite finish the dream season in the Champions League. We'll chew on all of that and preview what's ahead, as well as sit down with an absolute legend in the game. For my money, the greatest play-by-play voice in the history of soccer, Andres Cantor, will be making his Chelsea mic'd up debut. Vamos! Mike Brian Ruiz here, the emotional host. As always, joined by my emotional support neutral observer, Chris <laughs> Whittingham. Oh, man, I was really hoping to double up our output and give you like maybe even triple it up. If we were going to win the FA Cup and the Champions League and a massive league clash against Leicester, you might have gotten three episodes. But you couldn't get me out of bed, let alone get me to record a podcast <laughs> after that weekend that was for Chelsea Football Club on the men's and women's side. So... Let's learn from the last few days and accentuate the positive, not necessarily (laughs) eliminate the negative because we'll discuss, but I don't think you can talk about this league match without discussing what we saw on Saturday. Uh, Reminder that we are partnered with the club and the club has made it known to me that they don't like me complaining about the refs or saying anything like campaign against Chelsea (laughs) or I'm not a fan of VAR. I will say this though. It's just not fair. It's not fair. (laughs) How many FA Cup finals do I have to experience that are just not fair? (laughs) It's not. It's not. I mean, first off, do VAR on where the ball was struck from Thiago Silva. Let's start there. Okay, because I've seen a still circulated across not just the broadcast, but on social media where you're showing me a badge was offside from Ben Chilwell. Okay, I'll give you that. Now do the same sort of satellite imagery on the blur of a white ball leaving the foot of Thiago Silva. Because you can't. You can't. It's about clear and obvious. There is nothing clear and obvious about that. The only thing that was clear and obvious about what that experience was for me was one of the greatest Chelsea goal celebrations I've ever experienced that I've been waiting for for a year and a half because I am fully vaccinated in a pub full of other fully vaccinated folks. I've been waiting a year and a half for that jubilation, and it was ripped away from me seemingly an eternity after I celebrated it. It was just such a huge bummer. At least you did get to celebrate it, so that was fun. (laughs) That is some sort of framing by you. No, there is... (laughs) No, I'm I'm sour on that. Uh, I I, Listen, and, and the handball... The, the knee and everyone researching through the rule book and yet the, the officials not giving that explanation. Look, the hand stops the track of the ball. So that being said, Chelsea didn't do enough. They didn't score. They didn't score against Leicester City. And they didn't score against Leicester City because Leicester City's keeper is a legend in the Premier League. Kasper Schmeichel made two phenomenal saves. Mason Mount would have had a glorious moment in his own right, but Schmeichel outdoes him because it was a bit of class for Mason Mount there too. It kind of, the way that Chelsea finished that match made you wish they were going for it a little bit more, and I mean tactically, because 
they were kind of going for it. And that high press from Lesser, who does it as good, if not better than anyone else in Europe. I mean that. They got horses. And Didi is such an amazing player and so crucial to their high press. They're, they're a menace to face, but I didn't think we had the right players out there to counter this press and really get Lesser in bad positions. And I think Tom Sukal learned some lessons from that match, and we saw that reflected in the, in the lineup that we saw on Tuesday. So before we fully celebrate what was the biggest win of the season for Chelsea, let's talk a little bit about that FA Cup because we need that to talk about the league match. Yeah, so I agree with you. I, my general feeling about the FA Cup final was that Chelsea just didn't get enough into the attack and was coming off a, a back of the game in which it's something similar happened in the Premier League where they just struggled to get into the attack and create chances and it was kind of a continuation of what we saw in midweek. So in my view, Chelsea didn't offer enough in the attack, but also kind of similarly, you know, similar to what we talked about in that Arsenal match was how the opposition as well didn't really create that many obvious chances. I will say Leicester has probably gotten into the Chelsea defense more than any team that we've seen in the Tuchel era. And, and you know, Man City included, Real Madrid included, everyone that they faced in their run to the Champions League final included. Leicester were able to cause them problems and make life difficult on a, on a kind of regular basis during this final. And yet, it's a strike from 35 yards out from Yuri <laughs> Tielemans that finds the top corner. That's the reason why you lost the game. So, again, Chelsea solid defensively. But there are times in the shape, right? You know, it's basically five defenders, two holding midfielders, three attackers, a 5-2-3, that it can seem like you don't have enough going forward. You don't have enough chance creators. You don't have an opportunity to kind of get and score goals. And when it starts to look like that, you do say, all right, we need more attacking personnel. Get more attacking personnel on. And I think you saw that over the course of that FA Cup final. But it is it is kind of an interesting that even still at times, as was proven in the Premier League match where they play the same system, that they are able to create tons of chances and probably should have scored four and five out of the same system. So you can just credit the opponent and say that Leicester were really good on the day. It might just... I, I think this this kind of narrative that Leicester deserved to win the final is probably a bit strong because they still didn't create tons of clear goal-scoring chances. Um, but, you know, off the back of a wonder strike, you can say that they deserve to win the final. Yeah, really tough results for Chelsea leading up to this league match on Tuesday because... You give up two goals and you lose. One game, one goal against Arsenal that you yourself scored pretty much. And then a, a controversial goal against Leicester. And usually that might be good enough to get at least one of those results. And, and you didn't get either. So you enter a Tuesday match. You have all the banter. You have... To me, like, I was fine with Leicester winning it, I, and it was a really cool story. you got to be really happy for some of those players and certainly the ownership and the, the tragedy surrounding that whole situation. But you see players tossing a pennant in the locker room on social media videos, and uh, you start working up some ill will, and you start getting pretty bitter <laughs> that you made it all the way to the end of back-to-back -back FA Cup finals, and you've got nothing to show for it. And you know where I always stand on that. I don't think it's a diluted trophy. I think it's a major trophy. And that was a gut punch. My day was ruined. So you have the biggest match of the year flatly since the last one, pretty much, because they're all massive here for Chelsea FC. The opponent, Leicester City, wearing the same kits that they were wearing in that final. Chelsea, <laughs> not We'll leave it at that. Chelsea not wearing the same ones, which was an interesting decision because in the match promos, it seemed as though they were going to wear the new kits and we wear the ones that we're wearing in the Champions League final that's been announced. 
I'm uh, happy to see that uniform set because many good memories in that uniform set so far. So Chelsea, dominant from the outset. And even though Leicester's high press is very intimidating and you don't have some of the same players at your disposal, Andres Christensen, totally flipping the narrative. He's one of those calming factors there. He's not necessarily there, so a little bit unsettled, but you got Mendy. And Mendy was a difference, I think, in the early going with his distribution. That's usually the book on Keppa, right? That's why Keppa was the world's richest keeper, Mendy. We, we've gone back and forth. Is Mendy good with the ball at his feet? Is he just okay? Is he just cautious and avoiding uh, the disaster play? This was a display from Mendy. His best performance from the distribution side that I've seen all season, Chris. Yeah, there was one moment, I want to say it was about in the 15th minute, where he receives the ball and Lester is flying around, right? Numbers in the Chelsea third. And he manages to not like he receives it from the right turns toward his left and feeds like a through ball in between two defenders it was a dangerous ball to find Ben Chilwell and all of a sudden Chelsea kind of go forward in the attack yeah the distribution from back to front was something else Thiago Silva put in another mountain of a performance you talk about the last 15 minutes you're hanging on to this vital lead you were 2-0 up you gave away a goal from Kalechi Iheanacho Thiago Silva was immense in the heart of that back three so I would say credit to everyone who was in that back line of three I found interesting that both in the final and in this game against Leicester, that Reese James was in the back three and Espilicueta was the wing back. Normally, you would think it'd be the reverse given James's attacking quality, but I think just from a pure pace standpoint, they wanted to have Reese James back there just in case there's any counters with Jimmy Vardy running yeah. in behind. He was basically like the last line of if Jamie Vardy is running beyond us, we've got a pacey center back back there. Yeah, it's, well, it's great to see for all those players who are going to be in the mix here next season, hopefully, that they become pretty versatile. And to slot Reese James in that spot, just because it's matchup dependent, because Jamie Vardy's pace um, it, it poses a bit more of a problem if it's Asby back there. It's, it's a great weapon for Thomas Tuchel to have, and you need to go into this Champions League final as versatile as possible. Uh, we're crossing our fingers. The hope was that Christensen might have been ready. Uh, Thomas Tuchel said as much in the lead-up, and then Christensen has left off the squad for the Leicester match. But you, you want to have as many options on the table for a very tricky opponent. So uh, Thomas Tuchel goes with Reese James not only in the FA Cup final in that back three, but also in that league match. And a strong performance, obviously maybe wanting to, to make up for that mistake in the FA Cup final that led to the one goal in that game. But let, let's talk about the midfield. N'Golo Conte was flying around, and then he gets pulled off with the precautionary move because quotes are from Thomas Tuchel and N'Golo Conte that he wasn't injured, but he felt an injury might be coming on. A bit of foresight, but I'm here for all sorts of uh, precaution headed into the biggest match in all of world football, that Champions League final. It's great to have your reigning player of the season fully fit and come off the bench. I thought Kovacic was good. And Jorginho, from the spot, all seven goals, your leading scorer in the Premier League. And I didn't think that's a recipe for a top four finish, but it might as well be. Yeah, I mean, it's been probably the most balanced scoring season I've ever seen from a top performing side, right? Although, I mean, I think Man City are kind of in a similar position where they haven't had like a, a, an out and out like Aguero season where he's got like 25. Like they've got yeah. a pretty balanced Gundogan. attack themselves. Yeah, yeah, yeah I think, yeah. Is, is it still Gundogan? <laughs> he hasn't scored for like two months and he might still well, be the leading scorer. Yeah, well, <laughs> he might be the leading scorer. And what, what odds would I take if I told you Gundogan and Georgina? <laughs> 
Mourinho were the leading scorers in the Premier League for Chelsea and Manchester City. Any shot those teams are making it to the Champions League final? <laughs> no, no chance. Um, but that's just kind of been the nature of the season. And, you know, Jorginho, calm as ever from the penalty spot. Timo Werner probably should have had two penalties in this one and yet was kind of the subject of conversation afterwards for all the things that he didn't do in the match. And that's just kind of been the dichotomy of Timo Werner this season. It's he does so many good things, but they're kind of a little bit washed out by things that he does that you know are can can put the game that put games away, and we kind of find ourselves. You know, I still love watching Timo Werner play. I still find like the things that he does to help the team win to be immensely helpful, and I kind of feel like it's. I mean. Scored 28 goals in the Bundesliga last year. It's going to come good for him. But I say that every week, kind of hoping that eventually will. Um, but I, I found interesting that even still, after a win, a massive win to get you towards into the top four, uh, that Werner is again the subject of conversation. Subject to conversation, no doubt. Probably should have had another penalty earned. I wasn't crazy about that. Um, not to name names, but it's always an experience with Mike Dean. Always an experience. <laughs> and that's... Look... It, Intention, that doesn't really matter. It's a foul in the box. We see if that's in the outfield, not inside the box, that's a foul. Yeah, he didn't mean to foul him. No one really ever means to foul anybody. That that's a foul in the box. That's a that's a tried that's, and true. That's, a, that's such a gray area for me though, because like obviously like he's going to kick the ball when he you know his foot comes back, the ball is in front of him, nothing else. Then out pops a leg. Like it's just I I don't know. Like for me, that's a gray area in the game. I remember last year when Liverpool were chasing the lead, they got a late penalty against Spurs, where Sadio Mane basically did that exact same thing. I think he stuck his leg in between the ball and Serge Aurier and and won himself won his side a penalty late. So. It, it, on the basis of consistency, that should have been a penalty. But yeah. for me, that's like one of the gray areas of the game. I'm generally with you. I don't like seeing that being called. I, I do like to call the game a little bit more um, tough inside that box. But when I'm getting big emotional goals ripped away because of a patch sleeve and I see a foul on the box, it's just, yeah. it doesn't make sense. What, that should be a goal. Right? Yep. You can't score with a patch sleeve, and that should be a foul. But it was nice to have fans at the bridge, and I probably mm. erred in not leading with this because for all the team most struggles, he still is creating so much. He's earned, what, eight penalties, and the fans were in full support of Timo. And that may just be because he has a banger of a supporter song now. <laughs> but but it was great to see. He had an experience that. I know we, we had some fans trickling in, but that was a true atmosphere. Maybe we talked ourselves into, wow, it's really cool to pick up on some of the tactics with no fans in the stands. Oh, what a welcome experience that was to see the fans and to hear the fans and to feel the fans and to catch up on a new clever little ditty to the tune of Depeche Mode's Just Can't Get Enough, supporting Timo, Yeah, I mean, and also, the thing that most stands out to me is the game is different with fans. And, like, we kind of got to see this science experiment conducted for the last year. What does a season of football look like without fans? How does it change the game? But now that fans are back in for these last two weeks, and also, I mean, how cool is it for the 8,000 that got to go? They don't just get to go to a game. They get to go to a game that has huge stakes and really kind of change the mood because maybe if the fans have been in all season, I don't know if there is that same positivity around Timo Werner and trying to build him up. Maybe they're, you know, season ticket holders that have seen him all year and have gotten frustrated and, you know, are creating a different atmosphere. So 
the fact that they were able to kind of positively lift the team, and you saw that first 45 minutes, I thought Chelsea were significantly the better team, and it's the zip and the energy, and that can only come from finally the Chelsea players. They're exhausted. They've been in COVID protocol for more than a year, and they can finally, finally get some lift. Look towards the stands and see someone who's trying to get them going, and you saw that lift 72 hours after having to pick yourself up off the floor after an FA Cup final. They were able to get a lift from the supporters, and it was obvious to the eye how much Chelsea got in the first kind of 60, 70 minutes of the game. And it was getting cagey towards the end of that game. We might have seen an altercation of some sort towards the latter part of the game, but being spurred on and you have the whole coding of not just the FA Cup final, but the the social viral video of the pennant being tossed and Thiago Silva, that guy has told, and his family have totally endeared themselves to Chelsea lore, really. They, they are absolute legends here, and they haven't even been here for a year. And I'm including his family in that. But let's talk about Antonio Rudiger, who scores, who's who's been massive against Leicester in his career, quite randomly enough. But I saw some people criticizing Antonio Rudiger for his uh, sort of cavalier attempts in that game, especially late with the FA Cup. Don't do that. Neon green light. It's a Tony Rudiger experience. Do not. You got to live with it because how fun is it watching Antonio Rudiger right now and watching his pace and watching him dribble out of trouble? It's an absolute weapon for Tom Sukel. Yeah, I mean, what a turnaround he's had in the Tuchel era playing that left center back role. It kind of gives him that freedom to, as you said, have a little bit of a forward run. It's pretty clear that like playing in a back four, he would want to do that, but kind of recognizes that he would leave his team exposed. Kind of like David Luiz used to do this and he would make those runs forward and all of a sudden be way exposed to the back playing in a back four. In a back three, that is almost kind of encouraged. It's one of the tactical wrinkles that Chris Wilder, Sheffield United kind of brought to the game. If you're playing in that system, one of those center backs can go forward and join in, and Rudiger clearly loves it. And as you mentioned, like when you're going to do that and you contribute in such a way, you do kind of have to throw a bone to that player who's putting in such a shift. And if Antonio Rudiger wants to come forward and have one go a game, Fair enough. And like most often it actually does hit target. It's hit with enough venom that it like at least forces the keeper into a save and you can profit off the rebound. I do think in the FA Cup final it was probably one too many, just because it, it like in those scenarios it starts to feel a little desperate. Like you're just like, all right, anything will do, I'm gonna shoot from long distance and hope something some magic happens. But yeah, I mean, you know, generally he's been such a positive influence, and as you said, totally deserves that goal in that Leicester game. A huge moment in the season for him. <laughs> I'm not gonna get mad at Antonio Rudiger for for going Rudiger. No, I'm, I'm not going to follow you there. And I get what people are saying because when it's late in the moment, you want a traditional buildup. Good things generally happen when he gets involved in the attack now. And I am here for this insane Antonio Rudiger experience because he looks crazy when he plays, especially with that mask uh, on the, now. The, the, the mask is just such he, an accent on his performances. He plays crazy. He is, I mean, what a turnaround for this player. And I, I love every minute of it. I am here for every bit of the Antonio Rudiger experience. So what, what a great player. By the way, congratulations to Mason Mount. Another thing that I probably aired and waiting too long to get around, had the pregame moment with some smattering of applause because not everybody's in their seat and obviously reduced capacity. And then a thunderous roar when he gets injured and it's not looking too great and you're all of a sudden getting nervous for that final. Like Conte and now Mount, but Mount gets back on that field. 
as if it, there was any doubt, gets a thunderous ovation. Player of the season, no debate there from your two hosts here of Chelsea, mic'd up the most consistent and best player. And if he continues to improve in every facet of his game, because you and I get dragged occasionally for saying he could be a better finisher, I think he would readily admit that he can improve that facet of his game. If he does, if he just has the same marked improvements in his game that he showed over year one to year two, if year three is that same progression, you are looking at one of the club's absolute legendary talismanic figures. I mean, he's still so young. <laughs> he's in his second season. He's in his early 20s. Like, this is a player that still has so much growing to do. And, you know, it is harsh on him. And, and, and I think Gary Southgate did make a fair point in saying, well, just because it was under Frank, it almost didn't count. But I do think the transition of playing for a different coach that coach who doesn't have the same kind of emotional connection to him that either Lampard or Gareth Southgate does. And basically, you do feel a certain amount of, well, he's just picking the best players. And he thinks Mason Mount is not just one of the best players, but might be the best player just based on the regularity with which he picks Mason Mount as an attacking player. So he has really kicked on and has clearly earned his way into the into the starting side. And look, you know, there's a little bit of a conversation about, you know, one club players because Harry Kane is reportedly, you know, asking to leave Tottenham. And... Mason Mount feels like someone who could be one of those one-club players who wants to be at Chelsea for the rest of his career and kind of join in this tradition. But uh, it is very clear now that everyone within the club, not just Frank Lampard, views him as such a valuable part of this side. And obviously, given the Player of the Season award, he's got to go into next year with a massive amount of confidence. A lot to jam-pack into this episode. We're going to talk to Andres Cantor as well. And in the final segment, we'll look ahead at the final match day of the season. But let us turn our attention to a really huge bummer of a result. The Chelsea women uh, dropping 4-0 um, in Sweden to Barcelona, who were as good as advertised, even better. Yeah. That, look, before Chelsea even get a proper touch on the ball, the ball goes in the net off of uh, Chelsea's own player and... They're just so overwhelming. That's one of the best soccer teams I've ever seen in my entire life. So congratulations to them. Chelsea, a, a very good team in a very competitive league. Maybe that catches up to them. I'm sure if they could redo it, they would start certainly a lot better and we'd see something closer to that second half. But you're out of this game before you even know what's going on, Chris. Yeah, and you know it does kind of signal that you know Emma Hayes has gone again and gone again and gone again. And she's going to have to go again here with, with this team and maybe one or two more players. I think, you know, Barcelona, I think, have a bit more technical quality on the ball. They're able to keep it better. Their pressing was better on the day. And they just look like a top, top level club side deserving of winning a European trophy. We talked about their run. I kind of like, because we, we read out their league stats. Their league stats are ridiculous, right? You know, scored 128, conceded five, haven't lost a game, haven't drawn a game of only one. And you'd think, okay, maybe that's just a league where they're a really good team, but in a league in which they're just so clearly better. But I think we probably should have taken a bit more from their Champions League run and gone, hang on a second, this isn't just a team that's getting to the Champions League final. This is a team that's rampaging their way to the Champions League final and you're getting in the way of an incredibly strong side and so I do think that Emma Hayes probably has to look at that Barcelona team and look at them as the standard and how do you evolve the style of play next year so that you can go toe-to-toe -to -toe with them with the best players in the world or how do you build your team to counteract what they're doing but either way 
Barcelona has now joined the pantheon of clubs that are the standard in yeah. women's football in Europe. Chelsea are now there as well on the basis of having gotten to the final. But, man, they've got another level to jump up. And, you know, fair play to Emma Hayes. Fair play to Roman Abramovich as well, who was at the final and was given uh, the, the Chelsea women's side their, their fair share of support. But there is another level to go up here uh, for, for Chelsea women, and Emma Hayes has got to find it. And they got to find some pace. Um, obviously, they've had some injuries along that back line, but uh, I'm going to take a future on the Spanish national team. I'm telling you, that, that team's going to be a menace with a lot of the nationals that were playing for Barcelona. That is a very pacey team. And it was great to see this game on Paramount+. Plus, and I will say, yeah, totally undersold how great Barcelona were, even though that was part of the framework here. That was what was on the line. Both teams would lay claim to greatest club of all time, but... With this league not being that accessible, the Champions League in particular, I haven't had the opportunity to really see Barcelona. And I would like more opportunities to see that team because, good God, are they fun. So please, let's continue growing this game. Let's continue putting these on, on streaming sites like Paramount Plus and, and, and networks like CBS Sports Network because I need to be able to watch teams like that. Also, I don't want to sound like an idiot anymore because they are good. <laughs> they yeah. are good. Yeah, they, I, I believe next year, because I, I think the format for this year is like every club sells their own rights, uh, whereas I think next year they're going to be in one place, and I believe Paramount Plus has them. So, um, th And that would certainly be my hope, and my hope would be that they get legitimate coverage because, as you said, I kind of want to know going into these finals like how good these teams are. Like you know, like Wolfsburg, I, I, I knew that they were a good team. I didn't know that they were that good. I didn't know that Barcelona were this Freaking good, man. Holy hell. They're amazing. Yeah. Uh, those are really great, tremendous players. And Chelsea created chances. They just couldn't. Everything was just a little sloppy. I don't know if it's jitters, but every touch seems to be going Barcelona's way. And that usually happens when you have more pace and when it's your day. And it was very clearly not Chelsea's day from the outset. That being said, I mean, they're they're pretty unlucky at the beginning of the game. Look, on the on the, on the the balance of the game, Barcelona were better. But, yeah. you know, like the clearance from Frank Kirby comes off of Melanie Lupoltz. Uh, yeah, was, but that was, totally, that was totally born out of just how overwhelming Barca were to just mm -hmm. start that game. Mm -hmm. Like, if it wasn't going off of Lupoltz, it was going off of a Barca boot. So that's, while it's unlucky, and maybe it catch a break, and it, maybe it hits a Barca player, and you have a goal kick to settle it down, uh, they were just... They were a house of fire to start that game. You yep. you were just hanging on for dear life. Yeah, and Pernilla Harder had a couple of chances to score. The second penalty was kind of doubtful. Um, you know, Chelsea had some shouts as well. But yeah, I would say probably the scoreline is, is, is a fair reflection of what happened. Yeah. So this is a story, as you mentioned it. Emma Hayes has to go again. KG veteran that has suffered plenty. Has done a lifetime's worth of suffering in this competition alone has to do what Barca did. Barca got beat up pretty bad in a Champions League final, and now look at them. They're doing the bullying. So hopefully we get to see another great Chelsea season next year. I know they're still alive in one more competition, so a chance to add another trophy on the final tally and yet again improve. Also, Rose Lavelle leaving the Women's Super League was a bit of a surprise here, Chris. Yeah, you had uh, uh, Sam Mewis as well, I believe, is returning to NWSL. I believe the only players... Uh, who don't have their futures sorted are the Manchester United players, uh, Tobin Heath and Kristen Press. Their rights are owned in NWSL by Racing Louisville, but I guess wanting to play during the offseason, their priority is always going to be to play in the United States. I think they just saw an opportunity without really a W, without an NWSL for 
six, seven months, all right, I can get some games over across the pond and be fit and, and have had a full season's worth of play before we go to the Olympics in Tokyo. And I think that's kind of the opportunity that they took. But I would still love to see more players coming to to, end, uh, to the WSL, excuse me, and also to these Champions League clubs. Like from a pure U.S. Women's National Team standpoint, like if one of the U.S. Women's National Team players wants to go to Barcelona, I wouldn't hate it. Because they seem they they seem to be playing some really good stuff and could offer uh, the U.S. Women's National Team some ideas. It would appear. All right, we got a legend coming up here from Telemundo, Andres Cantor. You know the signature call. Don't worry, I don't make him do it. I also <laughs> I, is it like uh, is it like Michael Buffer that I have to pay him every time he utters his, his trademark? I'm not even going to do it. But this guy does it better than anybody, and a lot of people do it. You know the signature goal call. Andres Cantor, for many, has been someone that you grew up with listening to, so this is very cool, and I'm extremely honored. And I know I speak for you, who you're a broadcaster in your own right. People can check you out on not just Inter-Miami broadcast, but also SAP buttons on Tudene, and you can just briefly speak to the, uh, the tremendous career Andrew Cantor has had. Oh, he's an absolute legend. And, and you say this to him and you're spot on, like the soundtrack to a lot of people watching the sport, even English speakers who don't understand a lick of Spanish. Like there is a time where, you know, Spanish language coverage of the World Cup was all you could find. I think Italia 90 was one where it was only available in Spanish. There wasn't an English language company that picked up the rights, which like 30 years later seems so ridiculous. But um, yeah, I mean, Andres Cantor has been an absolute legend on radio. If you listen to him on radio, that guy is incredible. He is my favorite Spanish language television announcer and by a decent amount of distance does his homework, you know, tells the story of the game on top of the, you know, his name is literally Cantor. He's singing the game <laughs> and, uh, and he does such an unbelievable job and he'll be on the call of uh, championship Sunday this weekend in the Premier League so we got a chance to sit down with him. Introducing Perfect Play the most advanced football training app available developed with and used by the Chelsea FC Academy built with innovative player tracking technology featuring masterclasses from some of football's biggest stars offering world class personalised football coaching so train with the best and become the player you want to be Start training for free. Download on the App Store now. Andres Cantor is joining us here on Chelsea Mic'd Up, and I could not be more excited. When you think about signature voices, this man leads the charge for many, especially down here in South Florida, scoring your football soundtrack. Andres, it's an honor to have you aboard here on Chelsea Mic'd Up. Loads of exciting things going around this club, but we're going to bring you in to discuss the big match, It's a few weeks away right now, but it's bubbling to the surface. Everybody's excitement. The Champions League final between Manchester City and Chelsea FC. Sir, number one, your thoughts on the entire competition. Obviously a weird one this year with the pandemic over it. We see now with the infusion of crowds. Oh, crowds kind of make a big deal for for games. So your thought on just the overall tournament so far. First of all, thank you for having me on. Like you say, it was definitely a crazy year, not only because of the pandemic. I think everyone adjusted pretty well. But with all the things that went on during the tournament, you know, City so, you know, so far out at the beginning of the competition, Liverpool being leaders uh, at Boxing Day and now, you know, having to get to the last match fixture trying to to secure Champions League qualification. The bottom three relegated three or four weeks before the end of the tournament. Uh, it's been kind of a bumpy ride for, for some teams. And of course, for the, the turnaround that Chelsea made was uh, pretty remarkable uh, as well. So I think it's been um, 
a crazy football year in, in the sense of, of just the, the pure football. And of course, it was, you know, such a beautiful scene to see fans in all of the stadiums next to last round. I mean, there were 10,000 pretty much at all the grounds, but they sounded and seemed like, you know, 50,000. You mentioned Chelsea's turnaround in the league and even in the Champions League tournament. Let's talk about their Champions League journey because... Is it even possible for Chelsea to be categorized as a Cinderella? Because they are the underdog here. Even though they were favored after a favorable draw to actually make the final, that's a veteran-laden team in Real Madrid that would seize on any mistakes. And it's a real surprise to many Chelsea supporters that Chelsea find themselves here in the final. Your thoughts on Chelsea so far? Well, I wouldn't say that Chelsea is a Cinderella story by any means. I mean, Chelsea spent a whole a lot of money last summer to to buy and secure you know very good players the fact that they didn't start well in the league and had to do away with frank lampard's services uh doesn't mean that they were a bad team they were just not probably playing their best and of course a new coach always has its own twitch on things and and changed some players and and made the other ones play a little bit better, uh, you know, with a different system and so forth. So I would not say that Chelsea, again, by no means is a Cinderella story. I think they're a very, very good side. Uh, Real Madrid wasn't at its 100% best, uh, I don't think. But that doesn't uh, take away absolutely anything from Chelsea. And uh, I don't even think they're underdogs in the final. I mean, they beaten City... Twice in the last, I'm not talking about, you know, I'm not a very big fan of statistics where, you know, you can pull up well in the history of, uh, you know, first division football, City lost so many games to Chelsea, whatever. I'm just talking about the last month, single elimination in the FA Cup, uh, the game at Etihad with the three points that would have crowned uh, City champions. So there's a mental aspect I'm pretty sure the coach and the players know that they can beat uh, City on on any given day. They they will have to play their best. Manchester City will. I mean, the, the champions will have to play their best football to become champions uh, in the in the final. So I think it's going to be a pretty even uh, final. I mean, you know, City hasn't been here before at this stage. So we will see. It's definitely going to be very, very interesting. Andres, you mentioned how Chelsea have had this turnaround in their season. In watching them uh, a lot of weeks as you do for Telemundo and for Universo as well, what has been the main source of the turnaround? Well, I believe uh, Tuchel uh, changed personnel. He brought back Antonio Rudiger, who was pretty much missing in Frank Lampard's every week starting eleven. He gave us Piliqueta also a chance. I think what Tony Rudiger has done is, is tremendous. I think he uh, the, the season that Angolo Kante ended up having, and hopefully he will be fit for the final. I know Tuchel said so this morning, but you know the, the, the season that Kante was having was you know great. You know he stuck with Timo Werner, even though. I think he, he got a little bit extra out of Timo Werner because, you know, he wasn't scoring goals on, under Lampard. Not that he scored way too many more 
under Tuchel, but I think his movements up front gave uh, fitted more the style of play of Tuchel than of, of Lampard. Obviously, Mason Mount had a, a terrific season and had to do with, even though he was one of Lampard's players, quote unquote, you know, he brought him from Derby County. He made him like the, the owner of the midfield. He stuck around and, and had even a better second half of the season. And then Christian Pulisic had a, a great run as well. He wasn't playing. I don't have the stats again with me of how many minutes he played under Lampard, but definitely it seemed it seems to me that he had better quality minutes under Tuchel. So if you combine all of those uh, things with them winning and, and really, you know, an extra paragraph for, for Eduardo Mendy and goal, winning and, and, and not receiving that many goals and having so many clean sheets and very being very, very solid at the back, I think that shows why, you know, they are where they are. Every player that's gotten regular playing time under Thomas Sukul has improved flatly. There isn't anybody that's taken a step back. What do you think it would mean here? Because you mentioned Christian Pulisic and obviously being an American Chelsea podcast, it's a mm-hmm. hot topic of conversation here. What do you think it would mean to have Christian Pulisic draped an American flag lifting the most prestigious club trophy in soccer? Well, definitely uh, there will be one American draped with the American flag regardless because, uh, you know, even though Zach Steffen hasn't played as much as Christian, uh, it will be a, just a, a great honor for, for them individually to, to become, you know, champions of Europe. It will be great to see that photo of them, you know, with the flag because I'm sure they will have it readily available in case. Um, their, their agents better make sure they have sure, that readily available. Sure, sure. I'm pretty sure. I mean, they can just, uh, you know, players have, uh, they don't like, you, you know how they say, do not touch the, the cup when you walk out on the field. Uh, many players do not like to uh, get ahead of themselves. And okay, so, I mean, they can, both agents can talk amongst each other and just bring one flag, neutral flag, <laughs> Just, you know, keep it there and whoever wins it takes it out and, and parades with it. It's not to jinx, you know, the, yeah. the, the final. So it will be great for American soccer uh, regardless. I mean, fair, obviously. Zach Seffen has been a, a key contributor for Manchester City in this build. Uh, but backup keeper, not to throw shade, I'm a keeper myself. I, I love paying attention to the keepers. But to have a, an attacking player sure. that can really captivate the youth here in America, Christian Pulisic can tap into a special type of soccer athlete that's growing up here in the United States and maybe wasn't uh, able to be reached before, don't you think? Yes. Uh, I think the fact, we, we cannot overlook the fact that he ha- has already tapped into the fiber of the American youth system. This is a very young kid that has gone overseas at a very young age and has excelled both at the Bundesliga with Dortmund and now with Chelsea. I mean, anyone... He doesn't need, obviously, it would be nice if he wins the Champions League, but anyone that turns on the TV every weekend and sees him play and sees him score against Real Madrid and sees what he does every weekend for Chelsea, I mean, that is, I think, a a very strong message for the American kids growing up that, like the clothing company says, nothing is impossible. So, uh, you know, it's it's great. I think it's, it's great for American soccer. It's already been great. 
And the fact that, you know, he might lift the uh, Champions League trophy will be even greater. But I, I don't think we can undermine the fact that he's on a big, big stage every weekend and every Wednesday when he plays Champions League. And he has done enough so far with this Chelsea team to, you know, put the name of U.S. Soccer at the forefront. Now, you're also, on top of being the lead voice for Telemundo's coverage of the Premier League, you're the lead voice of the of Telemundo's coverage for the World Cup. Are you anticipating that a Christian Pulisic-led U.S. men's national team can perhaps quicker? Because a lot of people are targeting 26. Are you looking at 22 and going, maybe there's a chance that the U.S. makes real noise there? I don't want to jinx uh, my answer because I have to give you, I mean, it's not just one of those typical coaches answers but uh-huh. since it happened for Russia I would like to see how the team plays in qualifying first now there are more teams you know Christian Pulisic is used to playing at the very highest level and these CONCACAF World Cup qualifiers are not very similar to the the style of play and the atmosphere that uh, he's used to uh, and none of the U.S. Players are, are you? I mean, they're those who have played already, obviously are, are used to. But the home and away World Cup qualifiers in Concacaf are very, very tough. You have to go to very tough stadiums with you know huge crowds, which hopefully by by end of August, September, you know we will have full capacity crowds in all the stadiums. I believe the U.S. will make you know the top three out of eight, but. I don't see my honest answer is that if I have to make a judgment now based on what I've seen from the team, I can't because I want to see the, you know, Berhalter's team mature. I want to see how they play against the, the CONCACAF teams. And then I can give you an answer. You know, we can revisit this, this question halfway through the octagonal, but, uh, I hope, you know, they qualify, obviously, and I hope they, they make big noise uh, in the World Cup if they get there. A great breakdown, but not a, a tried and true prediction because he's a legendary broadcaster. Broadcasters don't do that. So let me try to frame no, my last... No, 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 honestly not. It, it would be easy for me just to jump in the bandwagon and say, oh yeah, look at this, right now. Yeah, that's uh, what I do. Policy, that's my job. Stefan... <laughs> Uh, we have enough depth. Uh, Anthony Robinson, which I love from Fulham, Tyler Adams. I mean, we have two very good players in, in, in each position, I would say. But, I mean, I would be cheating myself and uh, at least myself and whoever trusts my opinion if I say, yeah, we're going to win the octagonal, you know, we'll qualify halfway through the octagonal and then take a break and send the B team and then we'll win the World Cup in Qatar. (laughs) I don't think that is a a very smart answer because I cannot go on something that I haven't seen. I I don't know what team Berhalter is going to take to World Cup qualifier. I can imagine, but I want to see them play in those tough circumstances and I want to see them play in the Gold Cup to see, you know, all the moving pieces going forward to uh, the octagonal and World Cup qualifying. So basically, I need more games under Berhalter's belt to, to you know, risk an opinion if they're going to win 
qualify and, and win the World Cup. I'll dress up like an eagle and I'll, I'll just shout it from uh, Purple Mountain's <laughs> majesty that, that we're going to win all the remaining World Cups on the men's side and dominate the same way that we do on the women's side. Uh, Andres, by the way, is brought to us by Telemundo. Make sure to check out Championship Sunday on Telemundo and NBC Universo. Uh, Chelsea, Aston Villa will be front and center. It's going to be a major game. Everything gets going Sunday, 11 a.m. Eastern time. All right, so you're not going to give me the full prediction and I'm not going to put you on the spot. Uh, you kind of pose the argument that maybe Chelsea aren't even the underdog in this final but typically historically finals are kind of cagey affairs and they're especially cagey when you have domestic rivals such as Manchester City and Chelsea teams that know each other very well gonna be a lot of drama but Chelsea don't concede a lot of chances what kind of game are you anticipating the traditional thing or maybe a, a bit of a swerve first of all if you want another opinion of mine I do not particularly like a Champions League final between two teams from the same country. But that's uh, not answering your question. Uh, because <laughs> obviously... They, I mean, I think it is. I think you are answering. You're, you're already echoing the sentiment that it, well, it is... A, it's a, you said it best. It's two teams that know each other too well. Uh, you know, Liverpool play Tottenham and now City plays Chelsea. And obviously it's not a, you know, week 17 of the Premier League. And it's not an FA Cup tie with single elimination. This is the Champions League final. And there are so many things that go you know, into preparing for, for the biggest game that these two teams will have. I think City are in a position uh, that they have looked for since Pep Guardiola is there. You know, he accommodated his, you know, his sayings about that the toughest tournament to win is the Premier League when he was eliminated from the Champions League. Uh, I know that with the billions of dollars that they spent since his arrival and since the Emiratis took over the team, they haven't spent that money just to win Premier League or FA Cup or the Carabao Cup. They won the big prize. So they know they're 90 minutes away or more. They know that this is it. They know that they have a team that they can beat on any given Sunday in the league. But again, this is not any given Sunday. It's, it's for City to win. And I think they're going to have the pressure, more pressure than Chelsea. They should have. Not only because of this, because you know they're there, they made it. But also because Chelsea already beat them twice in the last, what is it, 40 days or, or less in two very tough, crucial games, one coming from behind. So it's going to be, I mean, I don't know where to put my money, really. I think it can go either way, and I'm not trying away from giving you a prediction because if I would be a good predictor, I wouldn't be doing this for a living and just... You know, being in Vegas all week. Oh, oh you, you most certainly, with those pipes and the timber in your voice, sir, you would most certainly still be doing what you do for a living because you are an absolute legend. Like I told you, soundtrack to my soccer life growing up when your channels were the only channel that I could actually experience the game. So I can't thank you enough for all the work that you do in your illustrious career, sir. Muchísimas gracias para todo. Thank you, Michael. You just said that you watched me when television was in black and white, but uh, <laughs> it's... Uh... <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Thank you so much uh, for having me on. 
it's it's a pleasure to be with you guys. And I guess your fans need uh, a goodbye saying good luck, Chelsea. Let's uh, enjoy the final, enjoy Championship Sunday. I mean, there's a big game ahead before the World Cup, the, the Champions League final. So good luck to all the Chelsea fans. And I hope they don't get to suffer that much. Oh, man, so dangerously close to having Andres Cantor say up the Chels, Chris. Almost got him. <laughs> Almost got him. <laughs> Thank you so much, sir. Get the latest Chelsea news straight to your phone. Download the Fifth Stand app, the official Chelsea app. Our thanks to Andres Cantor for joining us here on Chelsea Miked Up. Before we break down the full picture of the top four race heading into the final weekend of the Premier League, let's hear Thomas Tuchel's thoughts on the victory over Leicester in midweek. Here is the Chelsea manager speaking to Chelsea TV. Well, it was a fantastic performance uh, overall. And first of all, this is what matters. Full of energy, full of intensity, high quality, high quality game from us uh, with the spectators. And this is how I imagine uh, a football game at Stamford Bridge, that we attack and, uh, in, in every minute, that we attack when we have the ball, we attack when we don't have the ball, to get it back as fast as possible. And that we play a good mix of possession, transition and, and, and recoveries. That was, that was the case. So we absolutely made the point and, and this is how I want, want it to be and, and how it should feel like for every supporter that they are on the on their front foot and on the toes and, and that it's easy to support us and easy to feel the energy from, from this team. This is what we did. Uh, it's again our fault to concede a goal. We had a big, big mistake, like against Arsenal, unfortunately. And uh, yeah, we made the lives very, very difficult in the end. Cost us some nerves, but um, I'm happy we have a well-deserved win. And still have to admit that uh, we haven't. We, we it's not done yet. We have another one to go. But well, we will kick off on Sunday afternoon. Definitely, we will be third at kickoff. So we will be third at kickoff. That's the, yeah, that's a good thing. We kept it in our hands. It's since many weeks now in our hands, and we will prepare and trust this group to finish the job. How's N'Golo? And how's Kai? How's Andreas? I hope I hope that N'Golo is right, and he says he went out. He went out just before an injury. This is his. Um, this is his uh, answer to my question. So I hope that he's right, and uh, hope that he can uh, play maybe on Sunday. For Kai, the same will be a tight, tight race for Sunday. Hope the physios and docs can make a miracle and, and put them on the pitch. There was so much to get to on this episode of Chelsea Miked Up, Chris. I believe we did it. Now the only stone that is left unturned is talking about where we go from here. While it kind of felt like a massive achievement, and it was beating Lesser, let's not undersell the result against Manchester City, which in retrospect, what a comeback win. One of the results of the season, Manchester City was going for that. They had a title to win that day. They didn't. Because of Marcus Alonso's late comeback winner, 2-1, getting all three points, when you were looking at the schedule and thinking where Chelsea might slip up, you weren't really thinking West Brom. You weren't really thinking Brighton and Hove Albion. You were assuming Manchester City. When they dropped those other two, it just made a very difficult match. That much harder because you actually needed to get three points from it. They did. Then they do the business again against Leicester, a team that you're in direct competition all that is to say, the job is still not done, Chris Whittingham. Three points, you're in. Simple, like Wolves last year. Aston Villa in a different situation. 
than Wolves were at last year. Wolves still had something technically to play for on the final match day. Aston Villa, they might be headed towards the beach. Who knows? Their results have been kind of peculiar here in the last few weeks. What can you tell me about the opponent, where they stand, and what Chelsea needs to do, and the teams that surround them? I know I threw a lot at you now, Chris, but you're the neutral observer. You're the sat guy. Aston Villa are currently in, as you said, on the beach mode. They are guaranteed to finish 11th. They can't catch Leeds, and Wolves cannot catch them from 12th. They're 11th. They're done. And uh, as you said, their their recent results have kind of been of a team that kind of knows that they're safe in the Premier League. They did manage to beat Spurs away, though, uh, in, in this midweek round, beating them by two goals to one. Uh, so I, they kind of have like their big, you know, notch in their belt before they go for the season. So, I mean, they can certainly take a scalp there at home. This will be, you know, the first time that Aston Villa play in front of fans all season. I imagine, the, I imagine they're appreciative of the fact that they have stayed in the Premier League twice since they last left Aston Villa at Villa Park. So, uh, obviously, that, that'll be a lift for them. But in terms of the fixtures that matter for Chelsea this weekend, obviously, they're away at Aston Villa. Uh, Leicester are home with Tottenham. It's a pretty difficult result to have, on, or a difficult fixture to have on the final day. Could be Harry Kane's last match for Spurs. There's some significance there. Uh, and I imagine Ryan Mason will want to go out as the interim manager on a, on a high note. So, Leicester certainly competitive. And Liverpool are home with Crystal Palace. And... That's the Anfield crowd back. We haven't seen the Anfield crowd back yet this season. So for them to be able to lock up top four, kind of this improbable march towards the top four, they've got a chance. So uh, I would definitely say if you're looking towards maybe some relief, maybe Chelsea get a draw on this last day, it would have to come from Leicester given that they're playing a difficult opponent. But Liverpool are kind of coming down this stretch run of the season and looking strong. Well, let's hope it doesn't come to that. But Chelsea aren't a team that blow teams out. They're just not. So it's going to be nervy there for a little bit. And I do think clubs will get up for their final match in front of their fans. That's an interesting storyline. Usually you can't count on that, but... With pandemic crowds coming back, it is such an emotional lift that you can't take anything for granted. And that was a very difficult game that Chelsea had against Aston Villa earlier in the season. Certainly one of those they would circle and say, if we fall out of the top four, that was one of those missed opportunities. So Chelsea, Aston Villa, three points, you're in. What about the kooky results here? What what happens if Chelsea draw? Is there any Mm -hmm. way to clinch with a draw? Yeah, so if Chelsea draw... Uh, Liverpool are on 66, Leicester on 66. If they both win, Chelsea are out. But if one of them drops points, then Chelsea, given that they have the point more, will be in a decent position. The interesting situation will come down to if Chelsea lose, what happens then? If Liverpool draw then Liverpool will be ahead of Chelsea on goal difference. And if Leicester draw, Chelsea will be ahead of Leicester on goal difference. So lose, draw, draw can work in your favor. But if you're in a situation where you're dropping points, you're going to need the others to drop points because Chelsea would be on 68, Liverpool and Leicester with wins would be on 69. So you'd need to be able to get into a place where those two te- one of those two teams drop points if you're going to get into the top four. Goes without saying, but I'm going to say it. What a massive moment for Allison and Liverpool, that header. Oh, my God. West Brom, don't be afraid to mark somebody. I, I know he's a keeper. <laughs> Put a body on him, but a, a huge escape. And for Leicester, they have the FA Cup, but they might be looking at, yet again, another season in which they're in a top four position pretty much the entire year, and they don't have Champions League football to show for it. 71 of the last 75 match days, they've been in the top four. 
and they might not end up with a Champions League spot in either season. It's just so unbelievably harsh on them. And you're right. I mean, the FA Cup is kind of a reward, but this is a club that now kind of wants to kick on and be in the Champions League, and they enter the final match day out of it. So... Uh, Leicester, you know, will get in by any means necessary. They'll look to win against Tottenham and hope that either Chelsea or Liverpool lose. I think, you know, the the neutral probably does feel, or, or you know, from my neutral standpoint, I'd be hoping that Chelsea and Leicester get in and Liverpool drop points. But uh, Liverpool have kind of recaptured a bit of that inevitable magic that they had really until match day 10 of this season. And they completely lost it, but they've just about recovered it at the right time. Um, and they have a real shout to get in. And you can't imagine at home against Crystal Palace on the final day, they managed to, to fall at the final hurdle. So Leicester might be on the outside looking in again. This is the sole storyline going into this final match day. Usually you have a, an interesting relegation battle. Not really. Three teams, uh, their they're fortunes cemented here for a few match weeks. Fulham, thanks for coming. Bye-bye. They've turned into a bit of a yo-yo club. West Brom, yep. I mean, we knew this would happen. Sheffield, very disappointing off of last year's immense success. What a season Sheffield had last season flirting with uh, a Champions League spot themselves now find themselves out and they were I mean one month into the season you knew that they were destined back for the championship a couple of fun teams coming up in Norwich and uh, an old rival we've been there Vicarage Road Watford welcome back the final spots trying to figure themselves out in the playoffs over there you have Barnsley you have Bournemouth Swansea and Brentford we've seen Bournemouth we've seen Swansea I want to see Brentford and Barnsley in this Brentford would be a, a West London rival so that'd be cool to see if they actually find their way back in the Premier League yeah and, and I think you're kind of seeing with two of the teams that came up going back down and two of the teams that went down coming back up, you're kind of seeing, first off, kind of like that 18 to 25 range in England kind of being solidified, but also how difficult it was in this pandemic season to either lose so much that you are decimated and you can't bounce back up in the championship, or in the case of the teams that came up from the championship to the Premier League, how difficult it was to have the money to add to be able to really compete at the highest level of the Premier League. Fulham, West Brom probably needed to spend more. Leeds had kind of been building this identity, and look, fair play to them that they managed to not only stay in the league, but finish in 10th with as many as 59 points. What a season that is. Um, but it, it, it proved very difficult to kind of either go, go so far down or raise back up uh, to another level. Got a feeling we'll be doing this in two years saying, hey, Fulham. <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, that's a that's a real bummer. They couldn't get the timing right because they're making tremendous stadium improvements to that uh, the jewel uh, of English football in Craven Cottage. And it's got to open up in the championship, certainly not what they had in mind. Interesting notes. What, what happens to Connor Gallagher? What happens to Ruben Loftus-Cheek? as some of these players, they want Premier League competition. What is their status with Chelsea Football Club? You'll have Loney's coming in, Loney's going back out. So very interesting storylines to follow there. All right, final match week. We're not done yet. We'll obviously have another episode on the heels of that, and then probably a bonus Champions League blowout, right? Uh, I mean, uh, top four is certainly worth celebrating, so hopefully we get to celebrate it. And if they drop results, let's hope that they have this – recurring theme over the last two years of another team coming through and dropping a result too because it is scary time still although it kind of feels different but mike you don't want 2012 vibes you don't want needing to win the champions league final to be in the next season's champions league you love the 2012 vibes is, yeah. it, is this a step too far uh well i think we could throw 2012 out of the equation given that they dropped the uh, fa cup yeah 
And now I'm just trying like hell to make sure this doesn't feel like 2008. <laughs> fair yeah. enough. Fair enough. That's Chris Whittingham. I'm Mike Ryan. Till we speak again, up the chels.